get up, get, get up, get up. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to episode number 125 of the Mets Up podcast. Just wrapped up a series against the Pittsburgh Pirates that, let's be honest, didn't start out that great. Feeling a little weird after game one, especially what happened against the Nationals the last few games. But luckily, we got the doubleheader. The boys played well, and we end up winning the series. Technically, finish the day, when you're listening to this in the morning, in sole possession of first place again in the National League East, which is a big W. Of course, we're going to talk about everything that went on in this Pittsburgh Pirates series, as well as it's fantasy football time. So James is a fantasy guy. That's like his job. And I had some fantasy drafts. John had some fantasy drafts. We'll talk about that, too, for a little bit give you guys the estimate, and then preview the upcoming series against the Marlins. So if you are enjoying what you're seeing and listening here, make sure you follow us on all our social medias at MetsUp. That'll be on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube version of this, check out the New York Mets YouTube channel. You'll be able to find us there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, and subscribe. James, back in the apartment in New York. How are we feeling? Feeling very good. You know, I kind of like... Imagine if you were a Mets fan who like got a concussion last Friday morning and then you just woke up today, like six days later, you go, oh, okay, wow, decent week, I guess. Yeah, like as weird as it was to start the week, because after the, the two bad losses to the Nationals and then the loss to the Pirates in game one, the sky was falling, felt the realest it had felt all year. Not with us necessarily, not with us, because of course we're we're very sane, we're very calm over here, but in the Mets world, it felt like people were going crazy. Yeah, it was a little scary for a couple of days. Mets fans were just freaking, freaking out after their team lost their third game in the row for the third time in the entire season. Like, you know you're having an amazing, amazing season of baseball when people freak out for losing three games in a row. I know there was more context. Like, these are two of the worst teams in the National League and the team wasn't scoring any runs. And Max Scherzer left his start early and Sterling Marte got hit by a pitch. But... It was still just crazy, like three three games in a row for the third time all year. Like that's a shocking stat, and one of those three times was over the All Star break. So it's yeah. hard to even count that as like three losses in a row. No, one of the words we never really use on here is panic, and people were like panicking. People were going crazy after game one, and like you said, it kind of all snowballed and kind of felt like there was an avalanche coming. Even though again, the team has still got like eighty five wins and is still in first no, place, and it's still eighty eight, I believe. Oh, eighty eight. Yeah, that's eighty eight. Whatever it is, however many wins they have. They're still still doing really, really well. So, I mean, the panic should never have been there, but it was for a little bit. And uh, luckily, the Mets ended the series on a high. But like we said, we started off with game one, which was not good. No, game one was bad. And I have to put my hand up for this little losing streak, Mets fans, because I went from Columbus on Saturday and Sunday, which I told you guys about, so I wasn't super invested in that Mets national series. I didn't watch. Saturday was probably the second or third time this entire year where I literally didn't watch one second of a game because it was on yeah. the exact same time as Ohio State. Sunday I was doing things. Monday was the rain out. We we hung out after I got home from my flight. Perfectly timed to try and watch the game. Rained out. Allegedly wasn't much rain, so that stinks. Not allegedly wasn't much rain. Allegedly there was no rain. As yeah. Howie and Wayne were tweeting, they were like, not a drop of rain yet in Pittsburgh. <laughs> like I feel like the worst part about that is that there were so many Mets fans that went to Pittsburgh because it's a relatively like easy drive to go to, and PNC is a great park. Mm-hmm. And it was Labor Day, no school yet. So this was a great opportunity for Mets fans to go see the Mets play in a different park. But because of the rain out that happened just with no rain, all those people just did not get to see a game because you got to go home the next day. That was almost us. That was like a really close to literally being us. I would not have been able to been there the next day. And then Tuesday, I just got busy doing stuff, whatever. 
was at like a celebratory dinner, was watching the game a little bit, but I was just sitting at a table where my back was to the screen, so I couldn't see much. So I was like, turn around, off, two nothing, turn around, off, four nothing, all right, and whatever. But got back into the games today, watched every single pitch or listened to them every single game, and that was wonderful. For game one, I just got to run through it quickly. It was bad. Yeah. Stalking Marte got hit by a pitch on his hand. We now know that was a non-displaced fracture, and shockingly, he's listed as day-to-day. Okay. Sorry, Marte's a warrior. I mean... And this also worked as kind of a trend of Mets players this year, like going back to when Lindor basically got the same injury in a, in a door in San Francisco, and then Jeff McNeil screaming about the laceration on his thumb for the, like two weeks ago. Yeah, like, we got we got some Warriors here trying to play through some stuff. So that was bad. Now we know that could, absolute catastrophe has been avoided, but still not the best thing in the world. Hope Starling's back soon. Luckily, we have Definitely. a lot of great depth in this team, which we'll talk about later. But sadly, the Pirates ran it up on Taiwan. He gave up six hits, two walks, and four earned, and five really really difficult innings. Even yeah. with that much action, I think he only ended up throwing about 80 pitches, which shows the Pirates are just swinging. Well, I think also they said at one point Taiwan developed a blister on his hand and he was not really able to throw that split finger, which okay, would well, also... That would, that would make sense because all of those splitters were like dead center. Yeah, and that he was basically like, I couldn't get the feel, so he didn't have the control, which led to, like you said, the splitter not being as accurate because it was working really well early in the game. He threw a couple early in the game where I was like, oh, that splitter's working. We're got, we got Taiwan cooking here, but it you know fell apart once the blister came out. His slider wasn't really getting any whiffs either, and also was just lost like all of its horizontal movement. The slider literally was not sliding. And then looked back after the game, and the movement was down basically every single pitch, and the velocity was down almost every single pitch. And we all have like these nightmarish reactions to this because we saw Taiwan have such a good, such a good first half last year, and then all of a sudden things just went bad, and it seemed like it was fatigue. So we have like a little deja vu there, but maybe not because of that blister stuff. So that's something that you can, you know, hold your head up about. Also, I just I, I talked about how good I thought Rodolfo Castro was, and he had a yeah, moonshot. No. <laughs> oh, that was rough. I mean, there was a couple moonshots in this game. I mean, not to yeah. not to talk about the Pirates too much, but this is the give only them time. a little bit because give them some. No, they've stuff. they've beat the Mets and they've beat the Dodgers this year, two of the best teams in baseball. So you got to give them a little tip the cap here we once in a while. The Dodgers this year and yes. crushed the Mets last year <laughs> in L.A. They slept swept the Dodgers of all places. But Rodolfo hit that big home run, and O'Neill Cruz did O'Neill Cruz stuff where he hit that ball into the Allegheny on an absolute line. Like, that ball got out of the stadium so fast and, like, barely above, but way gone. He has, like, some of the weirdest home run swings in all of baseball. Like, this was, like, a weird, like, lunge, one hand, and it just, like, smoked it. It ended up being 113 or 115 because O'Neill Cruz in this game had exit velocities 115.3, 113.4, 110.9, 108.9. Just the sixth time in the entire StatCast era that one player had four balls in play over 108 miles an hour in one game. And this is the second time this year that happened. Interestingly, both of those times came against the Mets. Can you remember the other player this year who had four balls of play of over 108 miles an hour against the Mets? That's hit so hard. Um, I'm going to go with Christian Walker. You're going to hate yourself that you got that wrong because it's a very yeah. obvious answer. John Carlo? No. Aaron Judge? Jock Peterson. Oh, oh, the game. How long ago that was? The game that basically made him an all star this year. Yeah, Yeah, literally the single game that made him an all star. One of the the game of games, as uh, as Dennis Reynolds would say. Man, Jock Peterson. That that giant series feels like eons ago. I'm going to throw the word eon out there. SAT word of the day for you guys. It was May. It's basically it's basically two seasons ago. We missed all of summer. That was spring, and now it kind of feels like fall. Season's been canceled like three times by some people on Twitter at this point. So like four. By that point, the Mets had only lost three games in a row, I think, once. (laughs) It's a career. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Like, maybe this is a little... 
out of pocket or unhinged, but O'Neill Cruz does really, really cool stuff. Like he hits the ball really far. He he has an absolute hose of an arm, but he kind it, it's like not good looking. Like nothing looks particularly good. Like you watch like some guys hit, you watch some guys like field, and you're like, man, he's smooth. He's got a great left-handed swing. Like O'Neill Cruz, I'm not saying doesn't play baseball well, but like his stuff looks so awkward. And I don't know if it's just because he's like six foot eight and 180 pounds or whatever he is, but he's so gangly. It's like watching a baby deer play baseball. He's just a really, really good baby deer at baseball, though. He's or like a baby I, giraffe, maybe more so. <laughs> like a like a like an adolescent giraffe. <laughs> he like he he might be really good. And the last few weeks he has turned it on. Like for the batting average, people who still cite his bad batting average. He's like 270 over his last 15 games, which if he ever hit 270 in this season, he would be, win the MVP. He'd be a stud. <laughs> I did I do remember, I believe it was like a month ago, him making a comment or a remark about him starting to go to a private hitting instructor, which is hilarious. He finally gets major league game checks. And then he starts buying buying better instruction that possibly the Pirates haven't given him. And then he starts going crazy. Reed Detmer is famous a couple years ago for do, having private pitching instruction because the Angels probably don't do that much pitching instruction in general. Allergic and, to analytics. Yeah, now he's like a, like a pretty solid starting pitcher. He's thinking he's like a 3-5 ERA, 1-1-5 whip on the whole season. But O'Neill's just, he does, he he's not a finished product yet, but he does so many things so well that it's just like, if it ever clicks, like it's going to be freaky. That's, he's and fascinating like, to watch. He's he's a shocking. He's a spectacle. Like he made one play in this game that was a ground ball up the mi- middle that he had the guy. I think it might have been from Vogelback that he had him out by like you know seventy feet because the ball got to him quickly, and he spiked a throw so hard to Michael Chavis who made this like crazy scoop. I save. remember that exact play. Maybe I don't think that was Vogel. I think that might have been Pete. But maybe it was Pete. Yeah, I don't remember now. I was nervous about that one because the estimate, which I did eventually lose, we'll get to that later, by like a freaking hair. But I was like, oh, that's going to be the one that's like 96 and a half miles an hour. But the bounce definitely saved me. Yeah, it's 100%. Moment. Yeah, he, he does interesting stuff. I mean, really, at the end of the, the day, it was a bad game. You move on, especially now knowing what happened in the next games afterwards. Game one, we don't have to talk too much about, except well, the, maybe the discourse afterwards. Yeah, the discourse and also in between these games, that's when Max Scherzer went on the IL. Yeah. So like the, the three straight losses coupled with that, plus the not knowing about Starling Marte, who's been one of the best players in the team all year and immediately become a fan favorite. People were freaking out. Our they're listening right now. Like our uh our Mets messed up uh group chat, they were people were losing their minds. Yeah. No, there was there was talk of uh, of craziness going on in the Mets sub group chat. So of of the viewers that are our loyal listeners, shout to you guys. You know who you are. But I mean luckily luckily we're not part of the craziness i gotta say because i think it is really easy at times to get swept into the craziness that can be being a mets fan especially when everyone's really like laying it on thick of like the season's over like i just it doesn't even make sense to me to say that there was one particularly crazy fan i want to shout out and that's a it's a heat i'm not gonna call him a hero because i'm not gonna like talk about anything about his morality but one of the one of my favorite entertainers of all time jerry seinfeld yeah he He's like he's a quintessential old man at this point because he's just like really old, like huge guy from New York. Like he he plays the part. Like Jerry Jerry Seinfeld was never good at acting. It's because he just never really had to act. SNY tweeted late at night that after the Braves had held off the Oakland Athletics, which was a crazy game, almost insane. They won that game ten nine. The 10-9. Oakland A's scored nine runs and lose. That's messed up. The Braves li- working their voodoo magic again. Never always have voodoo magic. But SNY tweeted that that now is a virtual tie for first place, not virtual tie, an actual tie for first place. First time all first time since April 11th that the Mets were not in sole possession of first. Jerry Seinfeld comments on the post. 
<laughs> I blame that stupid trumpet performance. Celebrating in season. We haven't won anything yet. Bad mojo. Same as when Baja Men showed up to play Who Let Dogs Out in 2000 World Series. Series ended right there. Dude, Baja Men, Who Let the Mets Out? That was an electric song. I remember hearing that on the radio as a kid. And you're going to tell me I don't remember that, but I do. <laughs> who let the Mets out? <laughs> and Mark remembers the four-year-old Mark was remember Scream That. But I, just, I think this encapsulated the way a lot of Mets fans felt on uh, late night on Tuesday. And I'm not going to say there weren't like these feelings in my head of being like, uh, this stinks. Like, I wish we would have won some of these games against awful teams. So it was also very much... Uh, Let's just play baseball the next day because it's baseball and like people win games. Like even the Pirates, as bad as they've been all year, they're like a thirty-five percent winning percentage. Yeah. So like you're going to win one out of three games generally in all your series. The Nationals, who are, are, have been abysmal for months, just Joey Meneses has come up and been a lightning rod team. They're about to beat the Cardinals in a series. Take the. Are they going to sweep the series or just win the series? No, uh, one game. Cardinals actually are rallying in the ninth right now, but it's five-two. But it's it would take a pretty seismic collapse for them to lose this game. Yeah, I just. The whole season is over thing. We'll, ne- we'll never get on board with that when we have as many wins as we do have. It's just, like we said in last episode, it's really annoying that we can't, or some fans, I guess, can't truly enjoy this season because we have the Braves breathing down our, th- our necks. But the season really is like 99% been incredible. 99.7% incredible. The Mets have a chance to be for like the third time in franchise history to win more than 100 games, I believe it is. And it's like, yeah. it's just, it's a freak out because the Braves are playing like 700. 72% winning baseball since June 1st, which that's, <laughs> you can't do anything about that. All we could have done about that is beat the Braves more than they beat us. And we have done that. Yeah. So just, just, just keep going, just keep playing these teams and keep winning. And now we finally did get to those winning ways ahead of Wednesday's double Heather. And that started with like the biggest exhale moment. And one of the all, maybe all season for a lot of Mets fans, when Jeff McNeil known cleanup hitter, hit a yes. very average sacrifice fly in the first inning. Yeah. We got the, uh, Nimmo got on Pete hit the double down the lines. So we had second and third, nobody out. And all of a sudden, like Lindor got out, and you're like, okay, McNeil Jeff, gets up. Jeff went 0 2 as well. Yeah, he went 0 2, and you're like, Jeff doesn't ever strike out. Like, he's got to put the ball in play right somewhere. Got the fly out to center field, like you said. I felt great because I, I, I bet before the game that we we're going to get a over on the runs in the first inning. So that was like, I, the way that they played the game before, I was like, they have to come out swinging. They have to come out swinging, and it's Dwayne Underwood. Like, I mean, you could hit Dwayne Underwood. Uh, Dwayne Andrew actually, I think, has a very good changeup, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, like that, an outpitch out for him. That would be the worst thing he could ever throw us because we're going to be so oh, late on the fastball. He's speeding, the he's speeding up the, the swing by throwing us a changeup. I would love to see his changeup. The Mets also did that classic thing where we had a closed-door meeting. So you only get a few times to do that, like all season. I don't, the Mets have, I don't think they've done it yet this year, so a very good time to use that bullet by Buckshaw yeah, Walter. You need to have meeting, yeah. one closed-door meeting a year because like, it's just it's a reset. It gets everybody's mind back on track, what you need to do, and it seems like maybe the Mets needed that a little bit. So good good job by, uh, by Hill Skipper there, Buckshaw Walter, using it the right scenario. And we talked about this only being the third time the Mets lost three games in all season. Game two was so good. It staved off them losing four games in a row for the only – time all season because they haven't done it i said yeah. i totally botched that but the Mets didn't haven't lost four games in all season and yeah that stopped it that wasn't a difficult sentence to say you like overthought I, I, it i yeah i completely botched it but whatever i want to talk about chris bassett i want to talk about him for a few minutes because this was a masterful start by him one of his best in the entire season seven innings 10 k's one earned just five hits and one walk he was just getting more swings and misses than he had like his last like five starts he, he had kind of gone away from the strikeout ball it looked like some Got a little more trying for him in the, the last month or so, dating back to like June, July, when things were seemed very easy. He had 15 whiffs on 52 swings. So it's 15 whiffs for tied for the third most he's had to start all year. Hilariously, though, his sinker was most thrown pitch and had just zero whiffs. 
Interesting. Yes. I mean, yeah, well, a sinker's not a big whiff pitch. No, it's saying. not. But right. you wouldn't expect him to have such a good whiff game when it's all sinkers. And this was because his cutter came just out of left field and was an un- unhittable pitch for the Pirates. He threw 29% on Wednesday during game one. His most, his highest cutter percentage in any star since his second star of the year when he threw 37% of the time. Usually he sits between 10 20%. He's kind of just been oscillating there all season. He had 10 whiffs and 23 swings. This one pitch. Two-thirds of his whiffs in the entire game. And he got five strikeouts with it. He's never had one three strikeouts with that pitch. And Very for good. those of you at home, when you hear whiffs, I spoke to, we had a fantasy football draft from all the guys back home with Westfield. Spoke to Tommy. Shout out to Tommy and Mate. They're like, we're listening. It's great. But you guys mentioned like whiff. I don't know what that means. So just in case anybody's out there and doesn't know what we mean by whiff, it's when you swing and you miss. That's a whiff. Yeah. And it, a whiff percentage, which we talk about a lot, is just about your swings. Yes. So how many times you swing and how many you miss, that's your whiff percentage. There's another stat called swing strike rate that takes all of your pitches and how many times people swing through it. But I like to use whiff because, you know, swing. Because we got called yeah, strikes, too. We're going to talk about some call strikes, Jake DeGrom, in a little bit. But Bassett was really just using that cutter a lot in the top of the zone, and the Pirates completely loaded this uh, lineup with lefties today. I think they only had one or two lefties in the entire lineup, or one or two righties in the entire lineup in game one. And he was just was, he didn't throw one cutter against them. Just lefties, lefty, high in the zone, high in the zone, high in the zone, high in the zone, crushing them. Awesome start. One of the most comfortable starts seems like he's had all season. Yeah, no, Chris Bassett looked awesome. We need that, you know, depth go- or I want to say depth, depth going distance, in distance, distance, distance going into this game too because we had the double header, seven innings, just exactly what the doctor ordered. Like he really was so great. He had that like sixth inning too where he got in a little bit of trouble, but got out of it. So yeah, the Jackson Winsky at bat for a moment got a little bit scary. Dude, Keith, Keith was killing me this game. Yeah. Did you hear what he was saying? You can't give up a long ball before yeah. four after that. He's, I was like, oh, the time you and then he was like, Swinsky's got a hole in his swing. And he like fouled off a pitch right where he said that hole in his swing was. I was like, Keith, please, you played ball. You've done this all year. Stop. It's all right. He's having his fun. Yeah, the double header for just Gary and Keith alone. They're really just spouting off, having a ton of fun in there. Oh, they were having a blast. And during the game, too, I thought it was funny. It was that because it was so empty, because it was a double header and kids are back in school. Steve Gelbs was split admission. Yes. Steve Gelbs was out in like left field, but on the third base side with a glove and he's like, I'm going to get a ball today. So his, his mission was to get one. He ended up getting one. And a, a seven year old Mets fan who lives in Pennsylvania. Now who's from North Jersey was like, let me get that ball. I've never got one in my life. Steve Gelbs is like, no, I've never got a ball either. This is mine. And then like seven other people just came over and started hounding him for the ball. It was like, you got put in a dystopian world. I was like, what is it's like, they didn't know what was happening. They're like, I have the ball. Can I have the ball. Can I have the ball. It was, I got anxiety, like watching it. Why wouldn't Steve give up the ball? It's he ball. never got a ball at a game before. That was the first never time. Never got a ball. Like- I mean, Steve, with all due respect, we saw how he caught the first pitch. It's not, it's not, it doesn't look great. So <laughs> I can understand why maybe he hasn't caught a ball. Yeah, uh, he's yeah. also probably been busy working at games. Yeah, so. also, Yankee Stadium is also a difficult place to get balls. <laughs> so that probably kind of limited him there. It's just, it was very, very funny. And then he had a great interview with the guy because he was like, ah. It's a doubleheader in Pirates game. We got to have some fun with this. He started asking him questions. The guy was like, Buck's got to get these guys to wake up. <laughs> and then he was like, and that was our interview. Nice meeting you. <laughs> like, he's like, I can't let him go on a tirade. It was also the moment early where Gary and Keith were pontificating on like the concept of the opener because the Pirates used Dwayne Underwood as an opener for Bryce Wilson this game. Bryce Wilson yeah. is just seemingly one of the most fun pitchers to hit in all of baseball. The Mets were just <laughs> licking their chops to play it every at bat, but they were like trying to name what they thought like a, like a, like a bulk pitcher should be. They're like a secondary star there. They, they said bulk. Get, yeah, they did say bulk, but I don't think they knew that was like the actual term. Like I think I think I think Gary said that was the actual term, and Keith said, I'm not calling it bulk, I'm calling him the starter. And well, Gary's like, Well, he, he didn't start though, so it's not how it works. Yeah. 
And then throughout this game up, the bats started to wake up. They really woke up in game three. But in this game, we have back-to-back homers by our boys, Naquin and Escobar, just yep. running the bomb of the order. Missed, uh, to, fuck, love those guys again hot right now. Yeah, Tyler Naquin really- crushed it. 106 off the bat, I think. With the series for Tyler Naquin and Weather Escobar. We'll talk about that when we wrap it up. Two hits each for uh, Pete and Nimmo. Three hard hit balls each for Nimmo and Lindor. We only scored yep. five, but it felt like we easily could have had more. They were just lacing the ball all day. And that was a precursor for what would happen in game three, where we just blew the doors off the Pittsburgh Pirates. Which is exactly what needs to happen. With Jacob deGrom on the mound, there's no excuse to lose to the Pirates. You should bury them. You're way better than they are. And that's exactly what happened. The bats just went off, and DeGrom was a freak on the mound like he has been all season long. Started off a little bit rough in the first inning, which was weird because he had like a, what, 11-pitch at bat to Ben Gamble, and he couldn't get him to swing and miss. But after that, he kind of just started cruising. It's hilarious how we call it a rough inning because he threw 18 total pitches in that <laughs> inning. He gave up two blue pits. Like, O'Neill Cruz kind of like a punch shot, and the Brandon Reynolds was literally a bloop that just fell between Canada and Nemo. Just kind of, Canada like overran it. I think they both kind of, they both kind of misjudged it, but it didn't matter. Then he got a double play, which was his first double play of the season. Really? Which, yes, that was very funny to hear. It seems like he's trying to get more ground balls, throwing more change. We'll talk about that in a moment. And the 10 pitch at battle Ben Gamble, where he was just freaking pest. He just got tight, slight piece of each one. Isn't it funny too that I mean, like you just said this, how we said he struggled and he had 18 pitches and had a yeah. good he had a one, two, three, or whatever it was, or I don't no. was it one, two, three? It was I think five guys came to play because two hits, okay. one double play. Yes, 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 you're right. And then a, f- a four, four, four batter inning. Four batter inning, we said <laughs> was rough for Jacob deGrom. It's it was. just he's he's such he's so on a different level than everybody else that pitches, like especially that we've seen in a while. So when you don't see him, and I think Gary even like alluded to it on the broadcast, like when you don't see him just make people look foolish. It's like so bizarre. You don't know what to do. No, this was an uncomfortable Jacob deGrom start because a no-hitter was dead after the first batter. <laughs> yeah, O'Neill Cruz had an inside-out swing to left field, which uh, it's, he's, he's a strong boy, so he can do that. Keith was yeah. loving O'Neill Cruz this series too, by strong, the way. Yeah, strong boy is the perfect way to describe O'Neill Cruz. <laughs> strong but, boy. Strong boy. This game, when it wrapped up, deGrom went seven innings, eight strikeouts, three hits, one walk, only threw 91 pitches. Looked like... If he felt like it, he could have just pitched forever, but in a, in a, it wound up being a 10-run game, no use in pushing it. He gave up four base runners in this game in seven innings, so sadly that pushed his full season whip up from 0.54 0.55, which, Ugh. I mean, you might as well cut the guy. Season's really over. Yeah, you yeah. can't do that. The, there was a big adjustment by Jacob deGrom, though, in this game. I think it is a sign of things to come as we get closer and closer to the postseason. It was by far his most combined usage of changeups and curveballs any start this year. His previous high was his last start, and I called it out then too. 10% changeups, 5% curveballs. This start was 15% changeups and 11% curveballs. So he's definitely making concerted effort to throw each of those pitches more. He didn't even throw a changeup this season until his third start. Do you think that this is maybe also because of like being around a guy like Scherzer, who's had to like make tweaks to his game as time's gone on? You just become a little bit... I mean, Jacob DeGrom's basically th- been throwing two pitches and been the best pitcher in baseball. Like This is also, like we saw, like you said, with the changeup and the curveball. It's like almost a way to get... like easier quicker at bats too maybe when you're not just like fishing for the strikeout i think for sure i think it's a massive part of it jacob has not got many ground balls this year and jacob the while he's had quick innings it's just like i think eventually now with all teams are just seeing him more and we have it's like it's weird when you watch these degrom starts and really like think about them because not like he's ever struggled in any particular instance no. but you always do feel like he hits his relative wall but that relative wall is just like some more fly balls and foul balls i just think these are like new weapons for him and it's almost kind of like Maybe this is a little rude, but like you just you try it out against the 
the the pirates like he was doing against the dodgers i feel like to try and get by them because he's trying to show them a new look and you'd like really try it against the pirates see what the pitches actually have and each of the pitches were great that change up at four whiffs on five swings and the curveball i think was just shocking them because he only threw it 10 times and they got five called strikes yeah i mean again no disrespect with the pirates they took a game from us this series but imagine being you know o'neill cruz even or some of the other guys that they had in this lineup like cal mitchell uh, Jack Sawinski, Kevin Newman, like seeing Jacob DeGrom, you, you prepped all week for his fastball slider. That's elite. The two best pitches arguably in baseball by a guy. And then all of a sudden he's throwing you changeups and curveballs. You gotta be like, I, this isn't fair. I wasn't ready for this. This was not on the test. How are you doing this to me? His last start was the first time he threw like a double digit percentage of either of those pitches in over a year. Yeah. Like, so you give it to a team that's like some of the worst run production in baseball. Like, come on. And also I do think that there is something about him just simply throwing less fastballs because he's basically throwing the same amount of slides and fastballs here, only a couple percentage points higher fastballs. Last start, it was like the closest it's been in a while, basically even. And there's a lot of research that shows pitching injuries are a lot to do with velocity. Hmm. So like, it's kind of like you can't tell him to throw 75% because that's never going to work as a pitcher. So if you're still going to sit 98, 99, 100, which he was a little bit below 100 today too for most of the game, so maybe that's also something else they're trying. Just throw a few less fastballs. These other pitchers are incredible. Like, didn't Chris Bassett yeah. tell us that Jacob DeGrom's one of the best changeups in baseball? Yeah, he, that's what he told us. He was like, I think he's got the best changeup in baseball, and the guy doesn't even throw it. Yeah, so just like the more ways he has to beat people is great. And I think there's a lot of like, he's kind of like basically, like this spring training kind of just ended for Jacob DeGrom. That's like messed he, up. <laughs> yeah, like this was his seventh star. Usually you make like five to seven, like a spring training period. So this is like now him getting getting a grip. And <laughs> this is now we're going to do some of the crazy DeGrom starts. Yeah, we got to rattle these off. Yeah. I got two big ones here. They're in the eighth straight start where he allowed three earned runs or fewer. That's so insane. That's, that's like more than that's one more season. season. It's more than yeah. a season. It's more than an entire season of allowing three earned runs or fewer. Like if you think one one time someone would get a home run then like another rally later, but people question if this is the best pitcher on planet Earth. Like I'm, I'm, remember that conversation people were saying he wasn't even the best pitcher in New York. He's the best L- pitcher on the planet. Listen to that whip I said before. He's allowing a base runner every other inning. <laughs> it's insane. It's awesome. It's freaking amazing. And then this, I think, is the craziest one. Six yes. straight start by Jacob DeGrom where he's retired 12 guys in a row. There you go. Only time it didn't happen was when we went to see him in Washington for that first one. So there's understandably some rust and like some nerves in that first start in a year. DeGrom is the only pitcher to retire 12 straight at least six times this season. Only one. I think Wayne Randazzo said only one or two other guys have had four. Really? Yeah. Straight starts, they retire 12 in a row. <laughs> it's a guy who's coming off and not pitching in a year. 12 in a row. That's literally every single start this year except one. He's had four perfect innings mixed in. Four, four innings where you don't get to play baseball. You don't get to hit. <laughs> nice try. He's just he's so good. It's like it, it's, it's so cool to watch him. And you, you can know, just tell that when he pitches on the road, Mets fans are making an emphasis to go to these games. You know that like uh, John Boys video? You know who I'm talking about? John Boys, the SB Nation. SB Nation? Is that who it is? Whatever he does. No, no. John Boys. The oh, YouTube John, guy. John Bois. Yeah, John Bois. I think it's a boys, but I'm pretty sure it's Bois. I don't think it's Bois. I think it's very we'll talk about that later. It's semantics. But he made that video about if Barry Bonds never swung, right? Yeah. I'm like waiting for a Jake DeGrom one to come out. Cause like the number like four innings, you don't get to play. Like mm-hmm. that's that's something you don't hear too often. And the cool thing about this Jacob DeGrom start was the bats came out and supported him heavily. Which is awesome. We don't right. ever see that. A lot of it had to do with uh, Johan Oviedo just not throwing strikes, which, I mean, he's a guy, he's, it's like, I feel like he just has pitches where if you threw him in a strike zone, like, maybe they'd get hit. But he refused to do that. Five walks and inning and two-thirds, like, that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's just not good baseball to watch. Mets got four runs in the second when that happened, capped off by Lindor, two-run double, three more in the fourth, another Lindor double, McNeil single, Naquin, Escobar, Vogie, all ch- chipped in RBI hits late, like, 
Canna two oh. doubles in this game. Yeah, every starter scored at least one run besides Daniel Vogelback. Escobar had four hits. McNeil had three. Lindor, Canna, Pete, and Naquin each had two. We just needed one of these like games where you didn't have to think, and this was perfect. Yeah, Escobar going four for five in this one. Six hits on the day for Eduardo Escobar. The dude is swinging the bat really. Oh, nice. And he smoked the ball like every single time up. Yep. I mean, he's playing really, really good baseball at a time when we really do need him. He's helping out this bottom of the order. Tyler Naquin coming back, swinging the bat a little more consistently against a team that he loves to hit against. Also, did you know Eduardo? It's like PNC Park is one of the best parks he hits in in his entire career. He loves hitting there. I would have. How many times has he even played there? He was on the Twins and the Diamondbacks. He had that run with the Brewers end of last year, and he did have kind of a hot second half after that trade. So I feel like maybe that had to do it. But 1,300 OPS in 23 games, that's good. Naquin, also just a great day. 5 for 11. Oh, this is the full series. 5 for 11 with a homer, double, 4 RBS, 2 runs scored. The Mets all together in the doubleheader Wednesday had 27 hits and 15 runs. That's awesome. That's a great Awesome day. for an offense that's bad. That's really good. I, just, I, think, I like this Escobar thing because I feel like he just kind of got that time on the shelf. After kind of a rough half, he cleared his head. Maybe you, you never know what's aching these guys, nagging them, a wrist, a thumb, a hip. Yeah, You get together there. He's a little bit older now. Guy's breather. And now he's, he's really swinging the bat well from both sides of the plate, too. That's what I was going to say is that I think that maybe like the time off helped him really rejuvenate, like freshen up and get ready for this last push here because he, he really does look a lot. I don't want to say like a lot better, but like he looks a lot like sharper right now. Like he, his takes are good. His, his foul balls have been good. Mets hit great foul balls. Best foul balls in baseball. Best foul balls in the league. I mean, got to lead the league in foul ball home runs. It's unbelievable. They hit like three in the series, but he's looked so much better. And it looks like the Eduardo Escobar that I think myself and a lot of Mets fans expected to see over this entirety of the season. Uh, Yeah, sure. But he also, I think he's still like bringing the vibes too. And after the home run today, when he got in the dugout, he pointed at somebody, I think it was Buck. I really think it was Buck. He said, that one's for you. That one's for you. <laughs> it was somebody who screamed that. It's like, all right, nice. Seems like to be a real emotional leader in this team. And then one of the funniest things about today, yesterday, when you guys listening to this, was that the Mets swept a doubleheader. Fifth time they've done that this year. Yep. Tied for the most in franchise history with 1969. Which is funny because like they would just straight up schedule doubleheaders. Yeah, I think like, like every other Sunday. And the Mets all together this year in nine doubleheaders are 14 and four. That's really good. That's really good because doubleheaders like, are hard. They're tough. They're hard. They're really not meant to be swept. Because we got all the experience from doubleheaders last season. Mets are just that's that's the difference between the Mets and this year and last year. You know, we're just we're cleaning up these doubleheaders, and they've been so good in rubber games too this year, which we've talked about. It usually happens because we win game one and lose game two, but sixteen and four in rubber games this season. That sounds great. I think a little bit of that is why the Mets fans got so nervous after game one, too, because like humans are creatures of habit. Like we right. like things the way they are, and we this year as Mets fans. We've gotten so used to this team that it has like a 600, 650 winning percentage about be like, okay, we win game one, lose game two, win game three. Do that bang, 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 bang. So suddenly you've lost a game three and you lost a game one. And all these Mets fans were like out of their comfort zone. Like, I can't do this. We're terrible. We can't win anymore. No, there was no doubt that it was definitely uh, a tight. I was feeling a little tight after those games. But man, having these last two of the double header, again, this is what they should have been doing. So there's not necessarily a need for like, applause here but they got the job done they looked like the Mets that we knew that they were all year long and it just kind of shows that I feel like the the bad games I mean we know this but the bad games are the anomaly and this is really more what the team is like I mean they've won so many games I don't it still does blow my mind when people are ready to just I I saw some that the Mets are gonna miss the playoffs I was like what what planet do you live in what just happened the jinx strikes again 
The Cardinals with a massive ninth inning rally beat the Nationals, saved the no series. Way. <laughs> James, I just saw a live jinx. How do you feel? Wow, that is your That's powers awesome. are they're unfathomable. Someone's got to pay you for those. I mean, <laughs> but the thing is, I can't control it. Whenever I try to do it intentionally, look, it almost never works. It just well, has I, to be organic. I think it's just like to have you around and just just give takes. Yeah, just, just start talking. So the opposite whatever, will happen. Whatever's in your head, just share it so that we can figure out what the opposite is and really start running with it. Kyle Finnegan with a rough five earned in two thirds of an inning. Oh my goodness oh. gracious. That's Kyle Finnegan for you. Yeah, good. I mean, I, I'm particularly happy the Cardinals won that for other reasons, but nice. Good stuff. I want to give a shout out to a big hit Jim, James McCann. Yes. A hit in this game, one for three, and he walked twice. Had some really good at-bats, extended the innings a couple times as well, which was big. He's swinging the bat well. Neither even had a nice double in game one, too. The, things are fun when the bottom of your other hits. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I, and I also love McNeil hitting four, by the way. I love it. It's just, I, I, I it's for that second leadoff. And I think Jeff McNeil, as we know, is a very good leadoff hitter. Yeah. So I, I'm cool with this lineup. I'm cool with it. I mean, obviously, when Marte comes back, it's probably going to be McNeil five. You move everybody back down. Sure, a but it's bit. also, it's, it's important that Kyle Marte can go down. Tyler Naquin can just step in and be like, I'm good. And Mark Hanna can be the other side, be like, I'm also still good. Oh, also, it's, it's absolutely sick. <laughs> Jacob DeGrom won his fifth game tonight. He's only made seven starts. In yeah. terms of his career, that's unbelievable. 2018, he had a 170 ERA for the season, only won 10. He made 32 starts. <laughs> that is pretty incredible. I mean, like, he's, he, it's a good Mets team. I mean, that's the difference between that and 2018. I guess. But even 2019, the team was okay. He won 11, also in 32 starts. Yeah, poor Jacob DeGrom. But you know Those what? two years, it was, it, was 200, it was 422 innings, and he won 21 games. <laughs> Come on. It's like Cy Young type stuff. It's, a Walter, it's, a Walter, it's one season for Walter Johnson. The gentleman's hurler. Uh, yeah, as you guys can tell, we are... A lot happier recording this episode than we were the last one. I mean, the, the losing ones are never fun. They're never fun. The winning winning's way more fun than losing. And anyone who else who tells you differently is a liar. And this just this whole month is kind of just like a tease until that last series against the Braves. Like we're all yeah. just looking at that. The Braves are looking at that. The Mets are looking at that. The reporters are asking both teams about it after games. The announcer are talking about it every game. Uh, it's just this, we're all just waiting for that series. And we're just gonna be very exciting when it happens. Unless the Mets clinch before that. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, it's it's football time, too. We bring in John here. We've been doing our fantasy football drafts while also watching these games. I had I ran two drafts tonight. I mean, it's been a pretty hectic time. A lot of different things going on. John, how was, uh, how was your week this week? It was pretty good. Um, you know, Monday was... Uh... It was a slow day. Let's put it that way. But Labor <laughs> Day, you know, I guess it's like it's it's what it's for. Um, Mark, I got to call you out on something. I'm sorry, uh -oh. but I got oh, no. I just got to go straight for the jugular. Oh, no. You were you were talking earlier about how you there wasn't much panic in you. And I will give you guys credit. You guys are very level headed Mets fans. Um, Thank you. And that's obviously not an easy thing to do. But. So full transparency for all the listeners. Oh, I know. Where we're going <laughs> yes, with yes, 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 yes. At around like maybe noon today, I get a text from Mark saying, are you going into the office today? <laughs> and the answer was yes. I was here for the NYCFC game here tonight at City Field. And I say, yeah, I'm going for a little bit. Why? What's up? I don't know if Mark wants me to like get him a hat or I don't know. <laughs> and Mark says to me. I'll take a hat. I'll never say no. Yeah, shirt maybe. And can you throw the rally bun away? And I'm thinking to myself, has he really just turned coat on this, this great piece of bread that quickly? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even a week ago. It was less than a week ago. Six that days. The rally bun, six days. That the rally bun had helped the Mets get past the Mighty Dodgers in a three-game series. Less than six days later, 
Mark wants that thing in the garbage. That's yeah. panic, if you ask me, Mark. Yeah, you know, there was a lot going on. Uh, I was, like I said, I felt a little tight. I was feeling a little bit tight, and I know the power that some items and, and things have superstitions. And I thought maybe, maybe the rally bun, you know, we tried to play God and obviously the baseball guys maybe didn't like that. I was like, right. you sometimes you just gotta let things happen. Sometimes you can't try and plan things. And the rally bun felt like at the time that maybe we were trying to plan something and push it a little bit too hard. So I was worried. I got scared. Not going to lie. Wasn't one of, one of my proud moments. I tried to level out the energy today. Cause I remember when the Mets swept that double header against the Braves about a month ago. I was on my bike for most of the day, but also watched the first game. So today was reversed. I watched the first game during the day, and then I just wound up on my bike doing some errands, like going around, hanging out with people. And when I was coming back, the Mets started, had that rally against Oviedo, scored the run. So I was like, you know what? I got to stay in this bike until the game's out of reach. And there I just is. started running some errands. I went all the way to, I went all the way to Trader Joe's and the Williamsburg waterfront just to, so just to stay so active just, and do some stuff. You just biked all around because the Mets were pushing runs across. That's yeah, I biked, I biked for like an hour straight just because the Mets, <laughs> <laughs> just because the yeah. Mets were have, the Mets were hot. I mean, oh, listen, gosh. that's what you gotta do for this team sometimes. And you know what? Hand up, John's right. I asked for yeah. the execution of the rally bun. Wait, I did said, you execute? Did you do it? I said, I said it needs to be destroyed. I didn't just say throw it out. I said it needs to be destroyed. I was, well, I was sweating a little. John, bit. what was your, what was your plan to destroy a frozen bun? I'm not destroying the frozen. I believe in that rally bun, and I think it was way premature for Mark to be pulling the plug on the rally bun because a couple of things went wrong. The Mets lost three in a row, a couple of injuries. We're not getting rid of the rally bun. That's not no, how no, it no. works. No, you're right. It, it's it's staying. It's staying. I, it 100%. is no longer in my hands. It's no longer in my hands. That's all I'm going to say. It's, it's in the baseball gods' hands, and they do with it as they please. Of course. And, uh, you know, just a little bit more on today, which was obviously a much-needed day of Mets baseball to sweep a doubleheader is not an easy thing. And we've gotten a little spoiled with it this year, but I'm sure. And I, I didn't write five. I didn't look, but I'm assuming that the league average on doubleheader sweeps or records. The vast majority of them are splits. The vast yeah, majority. So after you lose last night's game, then you're kind of in danger of losing two or three because the tall task is to sweep the doubleheader. Yeah. And they've done it over and over and over and over again this season. It's just impressive. It really is. It's well, Bassett, a series swinger too. Yeah. Just get knock, knock out two games like that is unbelievable. Bassett also talked about it after game one or game one of the doubleheader, game two of the series, where he was like, "Yeah, no, people were going crazy again on Twitter, you know, saying the same thing." He's like, "We Dude. just we keep doing our thing. We don't care." Like it's funny the players acknowledge it because Howie and Wayne talked about the players acknowledging it as well. Like they acknowledge it themselves, but they were like, "It's just funny these guys are aware that like eighty, no, not eighty is a lot. Maybe 65 percent of their fans are." Are like literally living and dying on every single pitch when they're over 35, they're 35 games over 500 in the middle of September. I feel like the Mets also are one of those teams that, like, I don't want to say is rare, but they have a lot of guys who are active on some sort of social media, but mm -hmm. like in a good way where they're not like, you know, replying to tweets and stuff. They just like, they post on Instagram or they post like a, a picture on Twitter or a video. So I think they're just like taking in this stuff, but it's great to hear that they like don't care. Cause as we've known with players and teams and other people in the past, like that can get to some people for sure. So I think that speaks a lot to this Mets team that they're like, Oh yeah. Like we love you guys as fans, but don't really care about if you think the season's over or not. It's not important. Well, I mean, it's obviously as you guys know, it's just, it's such a long season and so long. you're, you're going to lose a game to Pittsburgh in, in 2006, the Mets went to Pittsburgh with a chance to clinch the division. I think they just needed one win. And they were swept out of Pittsburgh. 
the worst thing that happened in that series is Pedro had a toe injury that wound up turning into a lot more. Yeah. But at that point, and the, and the Pirates were dead in the water. I mean, the Pirates, Bad other Pirates than what, team. 2012 and 13, uh, you know, 14, 15, there were some good runs too. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, 15, they won 97 games. They just kept getting and bounced in the wild card. Exactly. Because the NL Central had three teams that were great that year Cubs, Cardinals, Pirates. Let that be a lesson also. The irony. The Mets fans that this is just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes in divisional play. I mean, um, we saw it last year with the Giants and Dodgers. It's exactly. mirroring that season. It's the same thing. And there again, was a shocking amount of former or like at one point Mets on this 2006 Pirates team, by the way. 2006 Pirates. I'll, I'm just going to read off some of the names. So we've got uh, – or hold on. Wait, let me check this one guy first before I make this comment. But I'm like pretty sure. Okay, so Ronnie Paulino. Yeah. He's one Nady of them. He was on that team, right? Because he was in the trade. Xavier Nady. Yep. Yeah. He was on that yep. team. Jose Bautista was on that team. Jason mm. Bay was on that team. Jeremy Burnitz was on that team. Oh, so, so most who's guys who's who's that who? weren't already Mets that were going to become Mets yes. down the road. Rajay okay. Davis was on this team. Uh, eventual, Oliver, eventual Mets. Oliver Perez was on this team. Uh, I mean, Oliver like, Perez was a Met at the time of that series I'm talking about. That was the yes, yes, yes. trade after the Dwayne Sanchez. He was a 2006 Pirate. Like, there is a shock. And I'm sure I'm missing a couple, like, random fringe guys here. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if, I don't know some other guy on this list made it, but there was a lot of guys at some point that made it through this Mets organization on the 2006 pirates. Was Ty Wigginton there? He was not there this year. No. Roberto was Hernandez gone. was on that pirates team. Cause he came with Oliver Perez. Yes, he was. Yes. 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 21 year old Roberto Hernandez. Yeah. About he was the guy Hernandez. that Mets wanted in that trade. Cause they needed to replace Dwaner. Yes. Man, <laughs> That's I, ridiculous. I still have, I have terrible flashbacks to finding out, about the Dwaner incident, I keep talking about. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll leave it there. I was I was on a, a trip to Montreal with Sleepaway Camp, which is wow. Know, it's very it's very it's very me. I know and, <laughs> a Sleepaway um, Camp in Montreal. You had to have a passport to go to this one. No, oh no, 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 no. So it was no, I, no. You did not was, need a passport. <laughs> did you get no, in and out of the country? A, I did need a passport. Uh, the camp was not in Montreal. It was in Maine. And I think when you were the second oldest level, you went on a trip to Montreal. Or maybe it was the oldest. It was the oldest level. It was the oldest level. It was the senior year. So we went to Montreal, trade deadline. And I would always schedule one of my four or five phone calls you get with your parents on trade deadline day. <laughs> like, I learned about the Scott Casimir trade on the phone Aww. at Camp Wildwood. Shout out Camp Wildwood. My dad had to tell me about it. He told me about Rick Peterson and fix him in 15 minutes. And I found out about this trade the same thing two years later and my dad told me about Oliver Perez and I loved Oliver Perez when he was a pirate especially in 04 he was he was dirty and wasn't having a great 2006 and he told me yeah that the, the pirates threw an Oliver Perez too I was so hyped so hyped <laughs> about it wow and little did I know he'd be pitching 2022 he was here opening day this year yeah the Diamondbacks yep always a low-key legend what do you think about that uh, no, uh, no, I'm um, say that I will never forgive him. I'm just gonna yeah, put it like yeah. that. I was no, at wait, the Friday, I was, at, what? For, I was at the Friday night what? game in 2017 when he gave up four in the first inning. He's just he's had a couple moments in uh, Marlins. Mets history where he's I saw really... I saw a dude at Chase Stadium literally unloading a garbage can after the game, fist of fury. I'll never <laughs> forget it. I was 10 years old. I was like, didn't didn't <laughs> Oliver Perez give up the home run to Scott Spezio? No, no, he I did not. It, that was, was it Heilman? No, that was Moda. Okay. You guys were talking about Moda last episode. I wanted to yeah. try and be like, no Moda talk on the Wait, podcast. I also I found the amended Jacob Degrom stat. I'd like to share it. 
Oh, share it with us, please. So six starts in a row, Jacob DeGrom's retired at least 12 in a row. He actually has retired more than that, three of those times. Nobody else in four of the years has retired 12 in a row in more than four straight starts. Yeesh. So the live ball era, mostly. Uh, yeah. Man, yeah, Oliver Perez, it's such a bad NLCS for us. Okay. I just needed to, I needed to really live that for like a second. A moment. A moment. Oliver yeah. Perez came up big in game seven. Anyway, I have another DeGrom stat to add for you, James. <laughs> I look back to last year to tack on kind of if we call this a continuation, which it's not, but he didn't have a full season last year. He's yeah. now made 22 starts since the start of last year. He's allowed one or no runs in 16 of them. And it's just another way of contextualizing just how incredibly dominant this guy has been. I mean, 16 of 22, one or no runs allowed. That is stupid. It really is. And here's the thing about the Scherzer situation. The Mets were without him for, what, six, seven weeks earlier this season? Six. And, and weathered, DeGrom. And, exactly. They weathered the storm with no DeGrom and no Scherzer. This team has Jacob DeGrom going every fifth day. And yeah. although we learned last weekend and on Tuesday night as well that you've got to beat the teams ahead of you, and these teams that are kind of dead in the water still have guys playing with pride and have guys playing for jobs next season. And there's guys playing for arbitration money. And that there's a lot of reasons why guys on teams that we don't think are trying and, and playing hard each and every They're night. Very much trying. A million percent. But having said all of that, the Mets schedule isn't a it's in a, a kind place, if you would, given yeah. these circumstances, Scherzer and Marte. It's not the end of the world if the Mets take care of their business. Especially yes. with the depth they have. Like we have David Peterson to come back. Tyler McGill is like knocking on the door of joining this roster. Mm -hmm. Probably not in a starting role, but at least in some capacity. Tyler Naquin starting to hit the ball. Luis Guillermo's on rehab assignment. Like there yep. are guys on this team who can pick up the slack. And for a team that's been remarkably healthy all season long, like we can do this. 100%. I'll add one to you. You guys are talking about Eduardo Escobar. He only has two strikeouts in his last 23 plate appearances. That to that's me awesome. is the biggest thing. He's not that's swinging big. and missing, especially from the left side, which was an issue for the first four months when he was having struggles. He's not doing it right now. So you're right. This team, has it's, it's a long lineup each and every night. It might not be everyone hitting at the same time, like tonight, game two, where you put up 10 runs, but there's always someone getting the job done. And that's what I like about this team a lot. Yeah. John, John, quick question for you for the people. We teased the hell out of the Max Scherzer interview last week. With the injury news, we kind of all decided that it probably wasn't the best time to release it. What's the bonus content looking like for the people this week? So we got a Tomas Nito interview that's going to be ready to come out. I'm hoping to have that out on Friday. Uh, we are going to hold off on Scherzer for a little bit, unfortunately, with, with yeah. the injury. But Max will be back, and that interview will be out. And like you guys said last episode, it was great. And we also have a Tyler Naquin interview for the people. So and we've Canna. got bonus – and Mark Hanna. And Mark Hanna was yep. great, too. Awesome. Definitely don't yeah. want to forget about Mark Hanna. We got, to get Mark we got to get it going. We got to get that going next homestand at City Field. Yes. Hopefully get that up on the board. Print the shirts. Um, yeah, and we've got some more content planned also. Uh, something else really cool is in the works. So that's yes. all that. But I, I know you guys wanted to talk about fantasy. Uh, and then we got to get to estimate as well. What, what mm -hmm. do you want? What do you want to do first? Fantasy or estimate? Let's let's do estimate first. All right, just because cool. I think I think that's hot. And then we can kind of relax, talk a little fantasy for a couple of minutes because James awesome. is a fantasy guy here. I have one terrible fantasy story, and then I'll leave it at that. But estimate. I mean, we probably haven't had a closer one up until this week. The fastest <sighs> throw by an infielder was clocked at 92-8 by O'Neill Cruz. And can you guys guess? I might have told you, but maybe you don't remember. Who had the fastest throw by any player in the series? You said it was Naquin. Yes. 
Yeah. Tyler Naquin. This was the Tyler Naquin series. He had a throw from the outfield, clocked at 95-6. That's, that's awesome. That's pretty good. That's, that's a hose right there. Chad. That, that's pretty good. That is that is Chad. Uh, so that brings <laughs> it to 8-6 now, I believe, is where we're at. 8-6. Mark got me by like half. Yeah, I, thank goodness I changed my number from the I memes, changed 96, oh 96.9 for the memes to a solid 94.6 because I was like, James is going to go. I know James. He's an underman. He's always going to pick the lower side of things. He went 90, which was great. I was at 93.5, and I went down to 95. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, you had it. You had it. You're letting right me right there. back into this. I appreciate it. LGM has two meanings. Let's go, Matt. Let's go, Mark. Um, <laughs> All right. So it's yeah, you now 86. And good news for you guys. I didn't even tell you. I'm telling you live on the pod. Our new scoreboard graphic dropping in right now. That'll be important. Oh. But we nice. got a new little animated graphic keeping us uh, keeping us abreast of, of where we're at here as we go along. Only, what, eight, eight series left, I believe? Sure. That sounds seven right. Seven or okay. eight. Okay. Yeah, I think I it's can't like count seven that or eight. So we are, we're coming down to the nitty-gritty. And this week's estimate, this episode's estimate, is going to be the average attendance across the three games between the Mets and Marlins in Miami. So it's going to be a simple calculation. Jess, we're all on the same page. We will take the announced attendance for each game. We'll add them all up. We'll divide them by three. That'll be our number. And right now, it's not going well in Miami for a team that's lost nine straight games. This is really tough. Oh, man, what do you do? You know that there's going to be a lot of Mets fans there. But you also know there's probably going to be less Marlins fans than there have been all year because they are not playing particularly good baseball as of right now, as you said. So, yeah, where do we go here? I've got a number I'm going to rock with, um, and I think the Mets fans are going to do me proud. Um, I'm going to go with. I mean, I don't. I don't know if they're going to do me proud. I mean, it's still the Marlins, so it's not this. They're going to be most of this though, but. The capacity is listed as thirty-six thousand seven hundred forty-two. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not going to get even close to that. <laughs> Where do I want to go here? I'm going to go with – okay, I got my number. I got my number, and this is the winner. We're going to box it because that's how confident I am. When you box something, you know it's right. I feel like James is in his own head now. Mark has got a swagger about him when it comes to this, and I just saw James peek up and was like, huh. It's like – it's it's – it's like I'm uh, guessing how many jelly beans are in the jar. Like, I was always good at that. You tell me a number compared to someone else guessing a number, I'm going to win. All right. We show them? Yeah, let's show them. All right. Three, two, one. Bang. Whoa. He Ooh. went low again. Let's go. Big switch. Let's see. Wow. James, so here's, here's what I got for you, James. I think you have no chance. And here's why. Why? Because I did some research. I looked it up. In, in the time that I was pontificating, I did What'd some research. Marky numbers over here. So when the Mets and the Marlins have played this year, they have only gotten under 10,000 fans uh, a total of zero times. Oh, that's not good. So they, they hover around 12 to 19,000. Where'd you even find that? Oh, this. See, you're a fan graphs boy, right? So you don't yeah. know about all this. Oh, stuff. Your baseball, baseball reference. Baseball reference. You can do, guy, you can do attendance the... splits. Oh, oh yeah, no, you don't do that. on there. It's on there. You go to their wow. schedule and results and you can find attendance. And oh, I saw good. that Friday night's low. Saturday and Sunday is usually higher, 18, 17 to 19,000. Well, if you get Friday, one of those, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, if, if as long as 10,000 people show up on Friday and it's not like 200 people, like wow. straight up 200, I think I got this one. Not good for me. Nah, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. Baseball <laughs> reference right here, baby. 15069. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I'm trying to find the uh, the lowest attendance. So the lowest attendance for a home game at Marlins Park was uh, six thousand two hundred twenty-four. That was against the Diamondbacks as it on should May second. Yeah, yeah, as it's, yeah. The Diamondbacks fans didn't want to go see Jazz Chisholm, and the the Marlins fans didn't want to see Zach Allen. Great trade for both. Really was a great trade for the both. (laughs) Sneaky, one of the worst trades like in this era of baseball, probably the worst, is Zach Allen and Sandy Alcantara for Marcelo Zuna, the Cardinals. The the, the Cardinals, devoid of pitching Cardinals, trading two, literally the two best pitchers in the National League right now, besides not on the Mets, for one year of Marcelo Zuna. Don't forget Magnaris Sierra as well was in that trade. No, I forgot him. (laughs) As he should be. Yeah, uh, that... Man, as long as the Mets fans show up, I'm I'm feeling good. I also realized I think we don't say the number sometimes, which we probably should. We forget that not everybody watches oh, yeah, the video. True. I was ten thousand oh. nine hundred. I was fifteen thousand sixty-nine. Had to had to get a nice guess in there. Of course, um, very nice, extremely nice. You know what's not nice? All right, let me just tell you my quick fantasy story because this yeah, is one cool. of the worst things that that I've done ever. So Monday night, I go home, see my parents, my sisters, my brother, my brother-in-laws. And I'm in a fantasy football league with them. Shout out Rob, Greg, Allie, Michelle. They'll be at the great, uh, game on Friday against the Pirates. And my sisters have gotten into fantasy football. I, if you told me 10 years ago this would happen, I'd say absolutely not. I don't know if you guys have a similar thing. <laughs> wasn't wasn't a thing growing up. Are your sisters into You said you do or don't have sisters? I'm an only child. My parents had uh, one, and they said, what a perfect child this is. We're good here. <laughs> That's unreal. <laughs> Well, anyway, I'm under the impression this draft's at 8 o'clock. Some wise guy, I think, makes it 7.45. And <laughs> I'm, I'm so putting, funny. And in my queue, I added three guys. Saquon, uh-huh. Damian Pierce, and Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, no. Those were your first I, three picks. I get a call at like 8.02 saying, dude, why are you on auto draft? And... Yeah, those are my first three picks. Oh, my God. You got Isaiah Pacheco as the third-round pick. What yeah. pick did you have? Uh, I think the sixth or seventh and the 12th and a 14-team league. Yeah, so Relying on Saquon, nothing go wrong. <laughs> oh, man, that's tough. Saquon they I'm say, actually they say, not that bummed about. Yeah, it's not, that's not the worst one. That's definitely the best one out of all of those. Yeah, Pacheco is the, the rough in the third. I, just think, I think Pierce is just being way overdrafted right now. I don't think he had more than 15 carries in any game in Florida last year. That I have a friend that's a big Florida football fan. Apparently, Damien? Uh, Damien? Damien. Damien. Apparently, he's sick. He's really, really good. It's just he's Dan definitely Mullen. good. Dan Mullen had no yeah. clue how to use him. All right. Well, maybe hopefully they'll give him more carries, but there's like, I don't know. There's a lot of college guys who've never really gotten those carries, can never really gotten them in college. It's kind of weird that's looking fair. back. Yeah, I, well, uh, I mean, he is the RB1, though, right? He's for sure he the RB1. Been, no yeah, one even yeah. in contention to take those. Rex Burkhead. He's yeah, gritty. Rex Burkhead has the change of pace. Works hard. Gritty guy. I My, my leagues, work. my leagues. I've, I've done three drafts. Um, I liked the draft that I did first, and it happened to be in a draft that was with a lot of Twitch streamers, so I don't know if necessarily all of them were as big of football fans as maybe us here, but I had a great draft. I love my team that I got there. Just an elite core of receivers with Cooper Cup, CD Lamb, and Terry McLaurin. Like that's 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 a great one, two, three there. But then I did my league back with all the guys from Westfield from since we've been doing it since I think 2007 or 2008. So it's a really really old league, which is awesome to still be doing. I had the sixth pick. I hated it. I'm just gonna read through this starting lineup really quick, and you're gonna be like, oh yeah, this this team's gonna finish like four and ten. It's not gonna be very <laughs> good. Uh, Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, Saquon at running back. Zeke at running back. Then my receivers are Cooper Cup, who's on every single one of my teams, Mike Evans and Hollywood Brown. Tight end is Irv Smith Jr. because I 
picked him in the last round. Sounds Devin single Devin Singletary is my flex, Broncos D and Tyler Bass. I was just like I got great. I got caught in the middle of everything and in a league with guys who really know what they're doing and put a lot of time and effort into us, every single guy I wanted got picked like one or two picks right before me, which was really tough cuz I put all my eggs in those guys baskets. Yeah, I actually haven't had a draft in like a full week just cuz my leagues have been happened to like knock them out earlier which is weird like my most high profile draft was like over two weeks ago at this point that's crazy so I just, i've just been like sta- we've had like waiver like waiver runs go through which is bizarre but like i've just been staring at that team like waiting for the other shoe to drop but like i'm i'm pretty happy i mean football starting later tonight you guys listen to this great that falls on a mess off day because yes. lost mm-hmm. could just sit down folks on what should be a great game between the bills and the rams football is great like now that we're gonna have like this september but in october with mets baseball and professional college football is going to be titillating is there so something the where setup? Yeah, you what's go your setup. Oh, I mean, I, I I don't have a great setup. I like to go to friends or bar friends' houses or bars to set things up. Or now I'll go to the Mojo office on Sundays and watch with like the hundred TVs we have there because it's just freaking an incredible place. But like tomorrow, I'll just I'll like I'll plug a I'll use an HDMI adapter, plug the one laptop in the TV, have the other laptop tweeting. There you That's go. The move. Yeah, I mean, what about you, Mark? I I'm I think uh, well, our old roommate. Alex, he's going to come over to my apartments here for the first time. And then whoever else wants to come of the friends is welcome to come join as well. So try to watch football over here in Astoria. What about you, John? Ooh, I forgot to tell a story real quick. I was going to say, because I want to, well, one, one, one loyal listener to the show is frustrated that I've been name dropping people and I haven't name dropped him. So what my longest running fantasy league, we've been playing it since we were, I think in like third or fourth grade, it died this year. Enough people finally said enough's enough and walked no out of the way. league. Really disappointing, really sad. But after all my friends bailed out of the Ohio State trip that we had planned, they literally all bailed out of this fantasy league too. So it's That's just, awful. Oh, it's complete death. And again, our commissioner in this league, he shall not be named because he wants to be named so badly. I'm never going to say his name again. He tried. He, he did everything he could. He gave the guilt trip. He gave draft day I know, options. People I know it. who it is. Yeah, yeah. His, 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 he, uh, he, he's, his initials are CO. Okay. Yeah. 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 I also I also want to shout out because uh, hit that guy's dad, Mister O'Donnell, Johnny O. He was <laughs> yeah, listening to the Mets out. game on the radio a couple nights ago, and Howie and Wayne mentioned us by name again, and we're well, talking about our oh, show. Yeah. Wayne was talking about how the interview was, and Howie goes, Wayne, how long is your interview with them? Wayne was like 40, 45 minutes, and Howie apparently was like, oh. And Wayne's like, yeah, they'll probably want three or four hours with you. <laughs> so that's an open invitation not- for. That's open invitation to Howie that he can come on for literally as long as he wants. We kept we could do we could do a fourteen hour marathon with Howie Rose if you if Wayne, he felt like it. Wayne was a, a solid thirty minutes. I, I was checking the phone. I was making sure we're pros yeah, here. Uh, yeah, Wayne Wayne had some stuff to do and he was he was great and we got a lot of stuff in thirty minutes also. Definitely. Yeah, so. but it's funny. Shout out Mr. O'Donnell, Johnny O, proud uh, member of my old neighborhood growing up. That's my <laughs> that's the best O'Donnell I can shout out tonight. Wow, Mark, Mark, who did I have to shout out? What was his name again? Oh, oh, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah, we got a review. Yes. You guys should leave reviews for us because if you leave funny ones, we will read them out on the podcast. This one comes from Big Bin Buddy on uh, September third, yep. and he said, happy, "Happy birthday, John!" But he spelled John with an H. He did rank it. He did rate it five stars, though. That's big. So. That's fine. That's worth it. Every Maybe? single thing yeah. can spell your name wrong, John. If they rank yeah, us five yeah, stars. I'll, I'll take the H for the five star rating. That's that's no problem. Anything for the show. So. What's so Sunday, Mark? You asked what I'm doing. I'm actually not going to really be in front of a TV, unfortunately. I'll be traveling back from Houston doing a little Angels Astros um, stat work in Texas. Nice. My first time in Texas. Have you guys? Have you guys been there? I have Mark, spent. Mark half lives there. 
I've spent quite a bit of time yeah. in Texas. Uh, yeah, it's where my girlfriend lives. But uh, okay. Houston, Minute Maid, that's a great ballpark. It's an awesome ballpark. I don't know. I'm assuming that's where you're going to be. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I'm going to Minute Maid. I went there when they were really, really bad, when they still had the pinstripe jerseys. Um, mm. And Jose Altuve was just coming up in that game. We sat behind home plate in like the club section. It was like $40 for a ticket. And Jose Altuve hit a leadoff inside the park home run, which was really cool. Was this nice. National League Astros you're talking about? No, I, I, I actually don't know now. But they had like Altuve. He came up like 2012, 2013. Yeah, I think that was after I they think, made the I think switch. Thirteen was their first year in the American League, if I'm not mistaken. I'll I'll I tell you exactly was what first year. I think it might have been. It was 2011, I believe, because oh, that's, Jason, that's National League Astros. Okay, because Jason Bourgeois was on the team. If you that if that's a name, and he had a really good song at the time as his walk up, um, and I was like, oh, I like this song. Do you remember the song? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I can say the title of the song, but it was a Jay Z and Kanye West song. It has a really good beat. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's appropriate to say on does it, on does, it does it include a, a foreign it about, city? Uh, that's what it's about. My it's about Paris. Yeah, it's about okay, Paris. Yeah. <laughs> good song. Great song. <laughs> I wasn't aware of the song until Jason Bourgeois, I don't even know how to say his name, came up to the plate in that game. It doesn't sound right. <laughs> it sounds like that sounds like you know, but you are talking about the you are talking about the bourgeois that's very relevant to Paris. Yes. Oh, that, maybe that's why he did it. All right, <laughs> we've been going on for long enough here. Uh, all definitely, right, John, definitely. thank you for the estimate. We appreciate you. And we're going to go ahead and talk about the Marlins and wrap this one up here. What do we got for pitching mashups here, James? We, uh, the Mets right now, don't have a listed starter for Friday night. I guess that probably lines up for another Peterson, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, yeah, I think that makes sense. And that Carrasco, feels right. I think, do for a, a yeah, then Carrasco, back. Saturday, Taiwan, Sunday. We're going to see Edward Cabrera, Pablo Lopez, and Jesus Lazar, though. So even though we're not getting Sandy Alcantara, we're getting like three above average pitchers, which is just a, a really tough trade for the Mets to make. Edward Cabrera is especially interesting. He throws the hardest changeup in baseball. since like 92, 93, 94. It's a pretty ridiculous pitch. Yeah. I don't think we've seen him this year either. I remember we saw him a year or two ago before when, like, when he wasn't like, he didn't have it yet, but he absolutely has it right now. Yeah, no, he's been he's been cruising for this team. I mean, their their pitching has been their best. I don't know if it's been good necessarily all year, but they, that's definitely been the bright spot of this team for sure. Yeah, and then Pablo Lopez is usually good, but not often against us, so that's cool. And then Jesus Cesar, though, also just has a wicked changeup. It's a big changeup. Uh, and Pablo Lopez, too, big changeup series for the Mets. Big changeup series. All right, all right. I mean, we've play talked about the Marlins. We play some ball. We've talked about the Marlins a bunch. Uh, they still have no Jazz Chisholm. They cut Jesus Aguilar, so it's a little bit different on the offensive side. Uh, but the Mets should be just keep hitting, just keep hitting and playing the way they have been against these last two games against the Pirates and how they played yeah. against the Dodgers and all year long, and you'll be good. Here are the last 10 Marlins games. They're uh their run totals. Two, one, two, two, one, 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 two, three. That's that is a factual statement. Let's go. That's a factual statement, and let's let's keep that going. Let's keep that going. I think that is a perfect place for us to wrap up here. I, we can't talk about the Marlins much more. I mean, we're going to have a whole no, episode. We, we talked about fantasy football instead of the Marlins. That was a trade yeah. we made. <laughs> and that's that's way better. I think you guys it's enjoyed great that trade. Fantasy football is awesome. Yeah, fantasy football is awesome. If you guys uh, have any fantasy football team, send it to us. Let's let's see who's got the best fantasy football team among the Mets up listeners. We'd love to see that. Send it to us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Make sure you're following us on all our social media, at Mets up. We're going to be doing a Mark Cannonball giveaway uh, probably Next this week. Maybe upcoming soon, very, very soon. Yeah. We're going to drop one for you guys. So make sure you're following us at Mets Up. If you're looking for the YouTube video, YouTube channel, New York Mets YouTube channel, go watch over there. 
Like we said, if you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, subscribe, whatever you got to do. Drop us a review and say happy birthday to John and spell his name wrong. Whatever you got to do is great. Yeah, and you get roast all of us, roast John, spell his name wrong in the reviews. Give us five stars. If it's funny, we'll read it. Yep. Uh, follow James at James underscore Shiano. And follow me at Giraffeneck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening and watching, and we'll catch you after the Marlin series. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time. Get up. Get up. Get up.